and amen. Uh, Here's a little experiment. Start a sentence with the words, I believe, and finish it with something deeply heartfelt. It, It is impossible to do that without feeling stirred and uplifted. The need to express what we believe deeply is an irrepressible part of what it means to be human. We need to express what we believe in words. In the act of defining what we believe, we define who we are. I am able to discern what is good and noble and true and bind myself to it. I believe. And that's why one of the most flattering things you can do uh, for someone is to ask them for their opinion because what we believe matters. Uh, Christians in many ways are defined by what we believe. Now, not only by our beliefs, right? Christians are defined not just by what we believe, but by what we do, and even more principally by how we love, right? That's what Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by your love. And yet in the New Testament, uh, as, they, as they scramble to find words uh, to describe these gathering of, of, of believers, um, sometimes the group is called uh, disciples or followers of Jesus. Uh, one of the first terms used to describe the movement of Jesus is the way. That, that, that's one of my favorite uh, ways of describing the way and the people who followed were called followers of the way. I, I love, we should adopt that for ourselves. This is the way. I love that. Um, Ironically, uh, curiously, the word Christian only appears a couple times in the New Testament, and we know originally it was a name, uh, a derogatory name. It was uh, a negative name given by the critics of Christianity. Christian only appears a couple times in the New Testament. But more than a dozen times, this group of people are just collectively referred to as believers. Acts says, all the believers were together. Peter stood up among the believers. Uh, the, the, the number was added to the believers. All the believers were of one heart and of one mind. And today we begin a brand new series in which we examine what it is they believed. What Christians to this day believe. The faith handed down to us from the apostles. What we believe. And each Sunday, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to organize um, our thoughts around the Apostles' Creed. E- each Sunday in Lent, that's the season we're in now, Lent, between now and Easter Sunday, we will lift up one of the core beliefs of the Christian faith, and we, we will use the Apostles' Creed as our framework. The Apostles' Creed is a statement of faith. It's very old. Parts of it go back to the second century. The Apostles' Creed is not Scripture. It's not the Bible. It shouldn't be regarded as such. It doesn't have that level of authority. A creed is a summary of the teachings of the Bible. A creed is a tool to be used by the church. And uh, this creed called the Apostles' Creed is called the Apostles' Creed, not because it was written by the apostles, but because it reflects the faith held by the apostles. It's not too late to pick up a copy of the Apostles' Creed Study Guide. You can get the nice spiral-bound print versions today for a subsidized cost of $5, but it's also entirely available online for for free as a download. It's got individual daily exercises, and it's got group uh, discussions. So you can work through that over Lent on your own, or even better, grab some friends and work through it together. Uh, Some of you grew up in churches that regularly read the Apostles' Creed as part of every Sunday morning worship service, or maybe you memorized this creed at some point along the way. Uh, Some of you may be less familiar with the creed, or even have grown up in churches that intentionally ignored creeds. 
Uh, sometimes a church says, we don't need creeds. All we need is the Bible. The Bible is our creed. You want to know what we believe? Read this. Um, but even churches that have that kind of posture against creeds, they probably have a statement of faith on their website. Ultimately, people want to know what does a church believe? What, what do you believe about the Bible? Uh, tell me that. Uh, Christians have, have long tried to express what we believe in words. We are a creedal people. That word creed means believe. Creed. Cred. Uh, if a store gives you credit, it's because they believe you will pay them back. If someone is credible, it means you believe them. If you have street cred, it means you've earned the right to talk about the place that you're from. If you say something ridiculous and unbelievable, we are incredulous and you are incredible. The Apostles' Creed begins with the Latin word credo, which we translate in English, I believe. I believe. When we hear the word believe in English, we think mostly it's an it's a, it's a event of the mind. But the Bible is true. When it, talks about, when it talks about belief, the Bible says we're talking about something much deeper than that. This is the passage that was read earlier today. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with what? Your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This kind of belief we're talking about is the kind of belief that's in the center of your being, it's in your heart, and eventually it works its way out in words through your lips, uh, through your mouth. Now, for those of you who've been around church life for a long time, uh, as we go through the creed, you're going to feel a stirring in your heart. We're going to talk about a belief handed down to us from the apostles, and you're going, to, you're going to want to say, yes, I believe that deep within myself from the bottom of my heart. I'm grateful for that, and that truth defines me. These truths define not only you, but the community of which you are a part. Sometimes when a creed is read in a church service, they will change the words from I believe to we believe. This is much bigger than me. This faith that I profess is shared by people all around the world and has been passed down for many hundreds of years. I'm a part of something much larger. And if you're brand new to the faith or to the church, this series is going to be a helpful summary of what Christians believe. The Apostles' Creed, in addition to, be used, to being used in worship services historically, or used to kind of correct and kind of keep the church tethered to the faith of the Apostles, uh, has also been used to introduce and to orient new believers to the Christian faith. It was the catechism of the early church, kind of preparing people for their baptism. So you saw the words of the Apostles' Creed earlier on the, the video that introduced the sermon, but I'd like you to read these words again aloud with me, and you can remain seated for this. Sometimes in a church service, when this creed is used, the officiating minister will stand before a congregation and will say, Christian, what is it that you believe? And the congregation, together in one voice, unified, will say aloud these words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. This is what we're going to talk about from now until Easter Sunday. And today we look at the beginning of the creed. The creed begins with these words, I believe in God. Now that may not seem like such a big uh, deal. We know that in lots of surveys, most people say they believe in God. And we know what they mean by that phrase varies vastly from one person to another. Uh, However, to say I believe in God is a big deal. In a world that prefers to talk about our belief in science or our belief in psychology, we get to declare, I believe in those things too, but I believe in more than that. I believe there is something and someone outside of me, uh, someone who's real. When I say I believe in God, I feel the hope rise up within me. Because when I say that, I'm really saying so many different things. I'm saying that life isn't random. Evil isn't out of control. The end is not nothingness. The point isn't mere survival of the fittest. I am more than just my biological urges. I am not alone. I believe in God. The statement is a a step of faith. It's a step of faith out of this hopeless, decaying, chaotic world into a world of wonder and hope. I believe in God. Do you feel hope rise when you, when you say that phrase? Now, the faith we hold is meant to give hope to all people. Uh, the scripture today, we were reminded of this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Right? At some point, you heard the message about this God, and you placed your faith in the message that you heard. Faith comes from hearing. It's really important. This faith that we hold in our heart does come out in our mouth. That faith is meant to be shared with other people. Words really matter. And the spiritual daring of this creed goes well beyond declaring that there is a supreme being. Because this creed says, I believe in God, the Father, the Father Almighty. That this deity isn't just a remote, distant deity. Uh, This God invites us to call him Father, Abba Father. It's almost a scandalous intimacy that we would refer to God Almighty as Dad, as Daddy. Uh, And whether you've had absent fathers or engaged fathers or passive fathers or overly aggressive ones, we know even in our wounds the love for which we long. There is an innate desire for the love of the Father. And this tender image of God as a good and loving Father runs throughout the Old and New Testaments. We see it in places like this in the Psalms, Psalms 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God is a God of compassion. And then this from the teachings of Jesus, uh, 
Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? You ever worry about those things? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Your heavenly Father sees you and knows you, so don't worry. God's got this. And then this also from Jesus. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your Father is pleased to give you himself and to give you all good things. The Father wants to give good things to his beloved children. But this God of the creed is not just God the Father. The creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This God is, is, is personal, but he's also all-powerful. This God is imminent, but he is transcendent. This God is knowable, and yet he's beyond our imagination. This God is the almighty God. This God is not just the image of, of, an, of an old, loving a weak grandfather. This is not your buddy chum, your pal. This is the sovereign king of all of creation. He is the Lord God Almighty. And just as the Bible talks a lot about the compassion, grace, and mercy of God, it also talks about the power of God. Again, we see this often in the Psalms. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Isaiah says something similar. Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And then this one from the Psalms again. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then in the book of Job, Job gets to a place in his life where he um, begins to question God. Job is a lot like us. Uh, he begins to feel that God isn't handling things quite correctly. You ever feel that way? Job decides he's going to give God a few pointers on how the universe ought to be run. And he begins to question God. He really begins to interrogate God. He really takes God to court. Uh, the, the book of Job changes to legal language, and Job has taken God to court on some of these things, and he just peppers God with questions and points out um, all kinds of accusations against God. And a lot of Job's questions, I think, are very fair. They're questions that you and I hold as well. But in the questioning of Job, we see Job's arrogance. Job really feels he knows how this universe ought to be run and how it should be run and how things are to work. And then the story of Job is just so well told. God listens to all the accusations. And then God says, it's my turn now to ask the questions. And the tables turn, and God begins his question of Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations, Job? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together? Again, the story is so well told where God uses sarcasm to put Job in his place. 
And God just continues relentlessly to question Job. He goes on and on with more questions like that. Have you ever given orders to the morning, Job, or shown the dawn its place? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do those lightning bolts come back and report to you, Job? Here we are, sir, reporting in. He, he kind of dresses Job down, and Job understands the point, and Job falls silent, and then Job says this. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Job believed in, in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we stand with Job and with the Apostles' Creed when we are humbled in the presence of the awesome creator God. And when we understand, we get a glimpse of who God is, all we can do is say along with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is the God of the Bible. Holy and powerful and sovereign. King of kings and Lord of lords. He spoke the universe into existence. And yet, and yet, and yet, he is your loving father who cares for you more than you know and longs to give you good things. So do not be afraid, little flock. Sometimes I need to be reminded of God's power. I need somebody through the scriptures to remind me God is all-powerful. God has no limits. God is capable. God is wholly other. And maybe some of you here today uh, need to be reminded uh, of God's omnipotence. God's got this. God is in control. And sometimes I need to be reminded of God's love. To be reminded that, that God loves me and that God delights in me the way a good father delights in his children. And maybe God brought you here to remind you of that, that God loves you as a good father. And of course, nowhere is God revealed more poignantly as a father than in this famous parable of Jesus about a prodigal son who runs away. A lot of you know the story, this father, this, this son, this wayward son, arrogantly takes his inheritance, squanders it away on wild living in a faraway country, and ends up uh, slopping uh, a pigsty. Uh, he comes to his senses that he needs to go home to his father. But he's not even sure if his father is going to receive him home. After the things I've done, after the things I've said, my father would have every right not to receive me. But he knows he has no other option. He decides to go home and plead on the mercy of his father, not even as a son, but maybe as a servant. And he makes his way home, and he's so afraid, and you, you know the story the father looks out and sees the son on his way and the father's filled with compassion and he runs toward his son and they embrace uh, together. Perhaps the most famous uh, depiction of this scene was a painting by Rembrandt. And here you see the wayward son just buried in the chest of his father. And this son, as his, his head is shaved, probably meaning he has he's had lice or some kind of disease, his, his shoes are gone, his clothes are tattered, and all of his defiance and rebellion melt now in tears of release, and his father just kind of gathers him in. 
In, in the Father, you see no judgment, no condemnation, no recrimination, only acceptance. This son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And this good, almost unbelievable news is that as long as there's breath in us, we can return home to the Father, and he will receive us with open arms. He waits for us. He longs for us. He wants us to be with him. And for those of us who deal with father wounds in this world, we can find the answer in the unconditional love of God our Father. And if you're someone who's known a father's harsh words or even harsh fists, uh, take a look at the hands in Rembrandt's painting. They're wide open, they're gentle, strong enough to pull us in, and yet restrained enough not to hurt us. And look again at the, the, the son's head just buried in his father's chest. He's so close, he, he, he can feel the warmth of the father. He can hear the father's heartbeat. He can smell the father's clothes. He's being gathered in by a father who has full regard for his son. And there's no place this father would rather be than right here. This father has all the time in the world for his son. And for those of us that grew up with fathers that were absent or maybe fathers that left too early, let's remember that this father is eternal. This father doesn't weary. This father doesn't tire. This father doesn't fade away. Uh, there's no one better than this father and he will never leave or abandon you and no one can take you away from him. This almighty God the Father is always, always there. How could this good news be true? And yet, I believe. Will you pray with me right now? Eternal God, light of the world, sovereign Lord, good Father, maker of heaven and earth, we believe in you. We trust in you. We find our home in you. We rest ourselves into your good hands and into your sovereign care. To you be glory now and evermore. Amen.